Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast, Season 4. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I will be your host this season. The goal and vision of this podcast is that it would be a forum for communication about Calvary Global Network. We want to share with you some of the stories about what God is doing. We want to talk about some of the initiatives we're involved in spearheading, and we want to answer the questions you might have about who we are as a network. On the episodes in this season, I'm joined by Pastor Brian Broderson, the founder and president of CGN and the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. For season four of the podcast, Brian and I will be interviewing the members of the CGN executive team so you can get to know their stories, hear about their ministries and the roles they play in CGN, and find out what they're excited about for the future. In this episode, Pastor Brian and I speak with Mike Neglia. Mike is the pastor of Calvary Cork in Cork, Ireland. Mike also leads the Expositors Collective Training Initiative, which equips people to study and proclaim God's word. And he is the host of the Expositors Collective podcast. In this discussion, Mike talks about how God led him to Ireland, where he came as a missionary 20 years ago. And he talks about being the father of a child with disabilities and how that has shaped him as a person and as a pastor. Here's the episode. Welcome to Mission Methods Podcast. This is Nick Cady, and I'm joined today by Pastor Brian Broderson and Pastor Mike Neglia. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi, Nick. Yeah, so we are currently in Florida. Correct. We're recording this at a CGN leadership gathering that we're doing down here. Brian Kelly and West Church are hosting us. It's been a, been a good time. So it's been also a great opportunity for us to sit down with some friends from the executive team. And on this season, that's what we're doing. We're interviewing members of the executive team, wanting to introduce you to them, what they're passionate about, a little bit about who they are and how God has led them. So Mike, please share with us. A little bit about yourself, who you are, where you serve, and how God has led you to the place where you're at today. Sure thing. So my name is Michael Anthony Neglia. I was born and raised in a town called Fallbrook in San Diego County in California in the United States. I yeah lived there and currently I live in a city called Cork in the Republic of Ireland. So I'm coming up, I have to check the calendar, but I think I'm coming up on 20 years in Cork. So half my life has been spent in Ireland and the other half is spent in the US. And I'm so glad to be here in person. This is much better than a Zoom interview. I'm glad to be here warm and nice with you in in California, Florida. Yeah. I'm jet lagged. (laughs) I'm jet lagged. It's a horrible time to be doing an interview because I am, I'm tired. Okay. Hey Mike, yeah, he's, Mike is perpetually jet lagged and (laughs) every, where I go with him when he's in the States, he's dozing off. You know, last night we had great, great story time and Mike was snoring through the whole thing, you know, <laughs> so he missed it. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. My loss. Yeah. But I think it's important. I, I really enjoy the opportunity to be able to, you know, to travel from time to time to, to be present yeah. at events like this. It's really it's something really special to be with, you know, other like leaders within the movement who I really respect, I love being with, and if only I could stay up to listen yeah. to all that they have to say. <laughs> well, Mike, you're a you're a prolific podcaster, and I'm sure that you'll do just fine, even on jet lag and not knowing exactly which state or even which coast you're on. Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, like, tell us a little bit about that story. Like, Got how it. did you get to be 
in Ireland from Fallbrook. Yeah. Well, Fallbrook is right next to Murrieta, which is the former site of the Calvary Chapel Bible College. After I barely graduated high school, I decided to just enroll in the Bible College, and I was there for three semesters. It's a four-semester program. The fourth semester, I went to uh, Ziegen, Germany. David Guzik was opening up a new extension campus there, and they were actually having a hard time populating it with students. Enrollment was really low for it, and they like reduced they reduced the price, and they reduced the price again, and they reduced the price again to where it was the same cost to fly to Germany and enroll there as it would be to stay in California and do it. So I thought, oh yeah, might, might as well. And I was yeah excited for kind of a change of, of pace. My life had gotten very hectic. I, I was working two jobs. I was in a band. I was in this kind of off again, on again relationship with this, this beautiful girl who I ended up marrying. But I was just like, my, my time, my energy, my Bible college experience was like totally spread thin. And I thought, what if I went somewhere where I didn't know anybody? where I you know, couldn't have a job, where I was leaving my band and the scene and just was there. So that brought me over to Germany. I was actually, I was experiencing horrible jet lag for like the first month. And I had, yeah, no friends, was on this weird sleep schedule where I was waking up at like three or 4 a.m. every morning for like a month and I, I couldn't, fix it, actually. Jet lag's been a yeah, pretty prominent story in my life. Actually, I wasn't made for this. You know, nobody's been jet lagged in the history of the world until the past yep. like 40 years, That's 50 true. years. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like the ability to travel faster yeah. than a time zone is so new. My body isn't just made for it. But because of that, because of me waking up at like 4 a.m., I developed a devotional life for the first time in my whole Christian experience. You know, I became a Christian, let's say like 16, 17 years old. Um, and this is only a few years later on, but I never had the habit of like quietly reading the Bible before the day starts. And I thought, I, I just want to experiment with this. And that totally changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I got, enco- I encountered the Bible storyline. I would like be enriched by God himself every morning before, before everyone else woke up. I, I loved it. And because of that, I really felt as if like, I, I love God. I want to serve him for all of my days. And I wonder how I'm going to get a chance to do that. So because of that, I was in, sorry, that's kind of a tangent, but I was in Germany, finished up my fourth semester. And then I, at the end of it, I bought a flight to London and then I just hitchhiked around the UK, just totally by myself, no cell phone back then, just a backpack with all my possessions. I had I had a MacArthur study Bible and a, a notebook, and that was it, and like a few changes of clothes and just kind of hitchhiked around and went over to Ireland, went all the way down to Cork, and I've lived there ever since. Wait, what year was that? 2003. 2003, wow. Was it hard getting picked up by people? It was, yeah, actually, yeah. I think... Hitchhiking kind of had its heyday before <laughs> before I tried. There's been yeah, yeah like thirty years before it was big. Yeah, <laughs> it was big in the seventies. Yeah, it was big in the seventies. <laughs> uh, and and everybody who ever picked me up, one of the first things they would say is, you know, when I was your age, I used to hitchhike, and I knew that no one's going to pick you up, so I'm I'm picking you up. So over and over again, that was the story. And uh, yeah, I didn't get murdered um, and I, I made it. I had some really strange encounters uh, with a lot of people 
one of the guys picked me up in England and I got in and he had like a, a dog in the back. And he's like, one of the earliest things he said was like, you know, I used to check when I was your age. And the second thing is you'll have to speak up, Sonny. A horse kicked off my ear many years ago. And so the ear facing me was, was just kind of like this, like, clumpy scar and he could hear out of the other one so whenever i talked to him he would then he would have to turn his head around so that his good ear was facing me while he was driving his eyes were facing oh away so gosh. yeah wow what an adventure did you hitchhike on a boat like how did you you know i was outside of london and i was was passing like this this like methodist church and I walked past it and then I felt, I felt like prompted by the Lord to go there and just knock and just introduce myself. And so, so I did. And the minister thought it was so strange that I was there. And he said, but you know what? Like we have these weeds that need to be picked. If you could pick these weeds, we'd love to make a contribution for your, your ministry. And so <laughs> I, I picked these weeds. He gave me money. And then he said that, you know, so-and-so could actually put you up for the night. So I stayed at some stranger's house and uh, got fed breakfast. And then with that envelope of money, that was exactly as much as it cost to get a ferry from Liverpool to Belfast. And so just kind of all these strange little journeys, just getting from one place to the next. I love that. That's yeah. a, I mean, this is a bit of a St. Patrick's story, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Coming yeah, without the kidnapping. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. He also was brought there on a boat, yeah, That's right. <laughs> but he, he, he was taken unwillingly. So all these like really strange things. I mean, this was, you know, 20 years ago, the world was different. I was younger. I was a lot more adventurous back then, but you know, sleeping in fields, sleeping in car parks, just, just getting by. And I just wanted to see what it was like to like, to live by faith. I wanted to see what it's like to, to have this adventure. I had kind of a, a job lined up for California at the end of the, the summer. I was going to start working like with a, like a painting slash construction job with my friend Carlos and I just kind of wanted to do something exciting before before that happened and yeah eventually like I said ended up in in Cork where I live now there's an existing coffee chapel there Andrew Sapira was the pastor there you you know him yep and uh kind of knocked on the door and I was like hey God sent me to you uh, I'm here you know if you want me to do anything to help I kind of figured maybe you'd be like hey pick pick these leaves pick these weeds like the last place but there was a like an, an outreach team from Arizona that was coming later that I think later that month uh, he said if you want to stick around until then maybe you can kind of help out with those people and stuck around the evangelistic outreach was like really fruitful there was a lot of teenagers that like, made professions of faith and I was like asked to stick around for a little bit longer to help mentor and disciple these these new new converts and then somebody randomly had some leftover money from the outreach and said, you know, Mike, if you stay here, you can have this money and that could pay for, for an apartment for a couple of months. And I said, okay. And then took the money and then... The rest is history. The rest is history. Then after about a year and a half or so, then Andrew and, Spira, Andrew and his wife, Chrissy, felt led to uh, move elsewhere and said, if you want to take over the church, you can have a go. And so that's what happened. How big was the church? It, it was in a period of decline where it was down to maybe half a dozen, seven, eight people mm-hmm. on a Sunday. So it really was kind of a, well, whilst technically not a replant, because uh, it had this this history and lineage, uh, it was starting over from a very yeah mm-hmm. small, small, and then it got smaller when, obviously, when beloved Andrew left and then young, dirty punk rock Mike was taking over. What? <laughs> <laughs> so kind of from six, it kind of you know, halved again and then starting over from that. And now 20 years later, 
Mm-hmm. It's yeah, doing well. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like, we're definitely more than six people yes. <laughs> these days. No, it's, it's really great. We're even like, even even recently to have kind of our, our, our leadership, we're planning out the kind of our leadership appreciation dinner. And um, I've been phoning around different, um, you know, local restaurants. Like we have to book out, you know, we, we're looking to fill, you know, like at least like, you know, 30, 35 seats, you know, because we want to have all of our leaders have some kind of appreciation thing. So it's a really wonderful thing to kind of have that glimpse of how it started. And then not that we have like 35 attendees, but 35 like leaders or leaders of leaders. It's a really exciting progress. Definitely not an overnight success. Definitely took two decades of my life. And uh, I really feel like I've aged a whole lot um, during that time. But that's where it's at now. You know, in in the States and Particularly in California, I think uh, the idea was, you know, you could start up a church, hang up the dove, Mm -hmm. and, you know, within a year, maybe have a couple hundred people. And if, you know, if you really were doing a good job, you could even probably have more. Yes. Did that did that haunt you at, at all throughout your time? Did you ever feel like, you know, this is supposed to be going along a lot faster Hmm. what's the matter with uh, me you know maybe am I doing it wrong or or was that maybe a bit of a myth that we were living according to in in the U.S. and specifically in California what a great question no I didn't think that I was doing something wrong why should I have (laughs) no you shouldn't have but have have you been wondering that (laughs) yeah well there were a few times I wondered (laughs) yeah certainly it was a long slow slow gradual gradual I suppose because I spent that semester in in Germany so I was you know and then attending Calvary Chapel Zegan when I was there which is at the time probably still think it's the largest Calvary Chapel in all of Europe I think but in in Germany for sure in Germany Okay. Mm-hmm. But that definitely, I learned there that this was kind of an outlier yeah. and that, you know, in a, in a secularized Europe, this is not how things, yeah. things go. And of course, I lived in London before you went to Cork. Mm-hmm. And so I had had that exact same experience Did you? In, in London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I think it is kind of remarkable, Mike. And I mean, yeah, you say it's not an overnight success, but I mean, it is a story of faithfulness, yeah. planting. Uh, watering and continuing to care for these people and watching the church grow and blossom into what it is today. I think that's that's fabulous and, and really a great testimony. And to have a church in Europe of uh, several hundred is, is a really big deal, especially nowadays when we hear about decline and sure. small churches and things like that, uh, especially in Europe. So I think that's, that's amazing. And, you know, Mike, things... Things have changed. I go, I go back to the UK, you know, fairly frequently and occasionally to Ireland. And I notice how much things have changed since I was there. So I left London in 2000 and have spent a, a lot of time, you know, going back and forth since then. But it's amazing to me what a different world it is today in, in the yeah. UK, yeah. Northern Ireland as well. And I know... Ireland itself is the same, right? It's not it's not the place you you landed in 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to the UK. However, landing there, I, I was saying earlier, like I might have seen the very end of Christendom yeah. in in Ireland, whereas, you know, our church and churches like our church were looked at as kind of we were bad because we were a cult. You know, we were bad because we were outside of the the two established churches, you know, the the Catholic Church and then the 
Anglican or the, you know, Protestant church. And then we were some in between group. And so we were viewed as suspicion with that. And we were certain, certain people who have placed their faith in the Lord in the very early, early days. And like their grandmother would have kind of campaigned against her coming and they would have organized specific, they started new family traditions that like on Sundays at 11 o'clock, we have this meal together. And the whole thing was designed to like make her choose between her family and then this small little cultic group, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, we were looked at with suspicion because we, we weren't the right kind of religion. And now we're looked at with suspicion because we're too much like traditional religion. Mm. We're too much like those main big, big churches. So there's been this like, you know, self-congratulatory rush towards secularism that Ireland has this very deep religious history that has caused a lot of damage and harm uh, because of it. And so now people want to rush away from that Mm. and become, you know, secular Northern Europeans and look back with such like embarrassment at how they used to be religious. And so, you know, Calvary Cork and churches like us, we've been kind of marginalized at the beginning because we weren't historic churches. And then now we're kind of marginalized now because we're like a historic church. Mm-hmm. Now, how practically do you, do you actually feel the effects of that? Or is that just, that's kind of in the air, uh, but it doesn't necessarily touch down to where you guys are at? Or mm. do you experience that that sort of rejection? Maybe not actual, you know, aggressive hostility or anything. Yeah. But do you how like experientially how 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 has it changed from being out because you weren't part of the religious thing yeah. to now being out because you're not part of the secular? That's thing? A, yeah, great question. I, personally, I haven't experienced a lot of that. You know, yeah. I don't have this like this family structure that's that's there. You know, yeah. But I can also just you know think of other anecdotes of, let's say, even younger people or newer newer believers that now in the past couple of years have been getting flack from their parents or their extended circles mm-hmm. for being part of something so backwards and antiquated yeah. as a, a Christian church. Wow. You know, and again, whereas previously it's like, what do you mean you don't? pray to Mary. How could you not do that? And then now it's like, what do you mean you don't affirm every possible lifestyle? How could you do that? Mm-hmm. And so it's people that are, is this so different than the U.S.? I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. But it's just interesting how in living memory, in recent memory, yeah. it was, you know, you're out because you deny the infallibility of the Pope. So now you're out because you deny the infall- infallibility of like the evening talk shows yeah. and all of their talking points. So we're never going to fit in. Wow. Well, Mike, just more about you. So this, you were there in Ireland. What what happened with the girlfriend that you married? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, I, I married her. Yeah. yeah. So we had a very yeah on again, off again relationship. And I, I sort of have left her out of the story. And so Rachel, if you're listening to this, I do. I love you. I'm sorry for, for neglecting your part of this story. So I went to Germany in parts and we kind of laugh about it now kind of for me to get away from her so that I could just focus on the Lord and not have, you know, my heart be like devoted towards this girl. We, again, we, we kept on breaking up again and and getting back together. And so, so dramatic, just like typical, I don't know. I don't know typical, but like really hyper spiritualized Christian romance. Do you guys remember that? Did you do (laughs) that same thing? Well, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did, we did every you know, they'd play a song at youth group about surrendering all to Jesus. And they would look at each other sadly and be like, I guess this means we have to break up again. <laughs> anyway, so whilst I was in Germany, 
you know, we just kind of said, you know, this, this is silly, you know, like let's let's just get back together forever now, you know. And so we got engaged summer. We got married in December. Um, I came back to get married in December. So I came back in December. We got married in January, and then together we moved there in February. So I was there on my own at the beginning for like six, eight, six, seven months, and then we were like newlyweds in a new country from two thousand and four onwards, two thousand three onwards. And so, yeah, she's been part of this, my wonderful wife, Rachel. We have three kids, Owen, who's 17, Rosie, who's eight, and then Finn, who's five. All of them have been born in, in Ireland. This is all their home. And yeah, it's the only home that they've known. And they, you know, they all have American accents. And I would love if they had, they could just pick up a little bit of the local accent. But I guess your, your family of origin does play a big role yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're intentional. I mean, some you know, some some kids are intentional. Yeah, and and I think too, if they're, you know, deeply connected to other kids in the community, they pick up. You know. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're pretty connected. Yeah. But they but they they <laughs> they still sound just like mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so my, especially like my, my oldest son Owen, so he has he has autism and some other other challenges. And what's what's really strange and unique is in his in his school, which is a you know a school for kids with autism spectrum disorder, they all have American accents there. Interesting. It is so strange, but kids with autism tend to have American accents because it's so bland, it's so monotone. And like the influence of, let's say, Disney films or, you know, whereas sometimes they kind of connect more with, sadly, they kind of connect more with like these fictional characters than the people around. So they're learning phrases with an American accent. And so when we, you know, would collect them from the school to hear all these other kids, Irish boys and girls talking with American accents is very strange. That is Is interesting. It's like a repeating yeah. I mean, it's called echolalia. So it's kind of repeating certain sounds. And so that would be mimicry is kind of a, a way of like navigating the world and repeating phrases and then intonations. Mm-hmm. So Mike, how has that, you know, obviously when you, he's your son, yes. you, you deeply love him. You and Rachel, of course, have, you know, been on this journey with him. How has that impacted you personally? How has it impacted you maritally? How has it impacted your ministry? Hmm. Want to get super real or? Yeah. Okay. I think it impacted our our marriage because like it was a very traumatic birth, you know, Um, it was supposed to be like a natural hippie home birth, but then had to have like intervention and rush to the hospital and emergency C-section. And he had like, you know, ingested a lot of meconium and he was unconscious and he was, you know, had, you know, essentially lack of oxygen to the brain for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So, so I say autism, but it's also autism plus brain damage and plus other things as well. And as a Christian, you know, I'm praying, oh God, you know, let him live and then let him be fine from this. And then he he seemed to kind of just progress, you know, sort of naturally as like as a baby. He was a little late on, on most of his milestones, but like, you know, you read the, all the paperwork and it's like, well, you know, he's a little late, but it's not that late. And then the next one, well, he's a little bit more late, but that's fine. I suppose early on in that first year or two years, you know, I was like, hey, listen, Sweetheart, we prayed. God answered the prayers. He's fine. And then she's like, yeah, we prayed. And But like, I think that he is delayed on these things, and these are kind of concerning to me. And sometimes I would look at that almost as like a, a lack of faith, a lack of trusting that God heard our prayers and kind of rescued our son from this. And, and then I was just wrong. You know, I was a, a Christian trying to do the right thing, trying to believe God, but I was wrong. 
And so that was kind of a challenging thing where my wife, you know, certainly was more dialed into those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this really with, with a lot of regret because I'm like, how could Rachel trust God so little that she would think that these things are, are wrong when in reality they're fine? But then they weren't fine. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, a glimpse. And I would just say, hey, dads, listen, listen to your wives, you know, yeah. listen to mom. Maybe she's noticed some things that you haven't and that it's not a matter like God isn't honored when we disagree with reality. God is he's the true God. And so we don't have to like close our eyes and force ourselves to believe that he's done something that he hasn't done. So that's, I guess, an early challenge. You act how that like has impacted us as people. That was a, a parental moment. And then also, this is on the one hand, it's, it's all I've ever known as well, too. So he's been my son for 17 years. I think, you know, we've we've officially known that he's had these challenges for, you know, 15, 14 and a half years. And, you know, I've been told that, like, I'm a very patient man. And that I have a lot of patience, a lot of like ability to, to empathize with people. I'm sure that this comes from that. I'm sure that like living with somebody in my house who just is incredibly limited. Like, of course, he's good at certain things, but there's a, a long list of things that he's mm. not good at. And so I try to really be a patient dad. And then I'm told that impacts the way that I lead and the way that I interact with people is with patience and with empathy. And then I would I would think when I when I preach, which is, you know, a way of communicating to a lot of different people. I I know that it comes quite naturally to me, and some people have to work hard at this, but like using like inclusive language or trying to imagine the variety of different kinds of suffering that are present in a congregation. Some people, and I've had conversations kind of coach people in this, sort of like, hey, think about the fact that not everyone's family is like your family and not everyone is always happy all the time. For me, that comes quite naturally. So I think it, being able to address people that are in pain or people that are dealing with kind of loss or disappointment, I God has met me in that. And so I want to be sure in nearly every sermon to kind of address some sort of the, you know, what some people call the fallen condition focus or the the fragileness of life or the, the frailty mm -hmm. or the disappointments that are in life. So I think it was Spurgeon who originally said that if you preach the brokenhearted, you'll never lack a congregation because there's a broken heart in every pew. Mm -hmm. And so I, that comes naturally to me. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Mike. And you, you bring up preaching. So please tell us about your leading the Expositors Collective initiative. So tell us about Expositors Collective, the origins of it and where it's at now, maybe some places it's going from here. Well, well, Nick, you and I, as you know, we've been involved in Expositors Collective from, you know, from the very early days. It's a training initiative. We want to just help young and new Bible teachers to get better in their personal study and public proclamation of God's word. We have, yeah, done a lot of training events across the U.S. Sadly, we've only done one in Europe, and I hope that we can be changing that in 2024. But we have these two-day events where we basically walk people through the, the journey of sermon preparation from observing the text, interpreting the text, outlining the idea, and then presenting it well over the course of, of two days. There's been incredible feedback. I, not to... Not to toot, I don't want to toot my own horn. It's not tooting my own horn, but people have just said this is incredibly a life-changing incident, changing the way they understand the Bible and the way that they communicate it. I believe it's going to be one of the more, I think I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to like talk about my life. And I think that Expositors Collective is going to be something that he says, I think you did a really good thing in that. And I really believe it's worth investing into. So we're coming to Indianapolis, Indiana on October 27th and 28th. And we want to help people 
We want to encourage people. We want to make people be more competent and confident in communicating the Bible. I just talked to somebody last night here at this gathering. Mm-hmm. He came and he was telling me about the church that he planted in yeah. Oregon and how he he handed over this church to a new pastor and that that new pastor came to Expositors Collective and he was not sure, first of all, about his skills as a preacher, but secondly, he also wasn't sure about his calling as a pastor. Really? And so he began telling me this. And of course, I remember this guy because I met him. He came to our Boise event. His name is Tanner. Tanner, if you're listening, hey, buddy. And yes. Hey, I, I know that name. Yeah. And hey, so, Tanner. so Tanner just posted online that, you know, it was his first Easter as the senior pastor of his church. And so I met the guy who was the senior pastor yeah. before him who handed it over. And he told me that for Tanner, that was the pivotal moment for him in both his calling and his skill set. Wow. And that was just really affirming of like, that's, that's cool that God is using this in, in really great ways. So that that's the in-person side of it, but there's other parts of Expositors Collective. Yeah, there's a, a podcast that I've been doing for nearly five years. When we did our first Thousand Oaks event, you know, we recorded the the main sessions. Brian, yours was one of them. Yep. You did two sessions then. You did one on spirit empowered yeah spirit spirit empowered preaching and then i think i did one on finding your own voice kind of a thing you did one on like martin lloyd jones as well yeah well that was the that was the spirit yeah one yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so brian was at that one so yeah we recorded those audio and then just decided instead of just like uploading it all at once like maybe do an rss feed maybe every tuesday release them and then when we finish that we'll just wrap it up but i just i've always loved i've always loved interviewing people Guys, I'm so nervous about being interviewed. I don't like being interviewed very much. It's it's weird. Do you, I, do you want to ask us some questions, Mike? Would that make you feel more comfortable? I, I, thousand percent, but it's it's too late. It's too late. I, I just I when I was younger, you know, in kind of the punk rock scene, like you know, I, I had a band or two, but I, I also I I did these they're called zines where I would like I would interview bands. I just I love extracting interesting stuff from people and letting other people share it. And so I did a few interviews with some preachers about preaching. And then those interviews, I got really good feedback from them and thought, maybe I can continue to do this. So for the past 272 weeks, every Tuesday, there's been an audio that's come out on the podcast feed, either an interview with a preacher about preaching or one of our recordings from from one of our training events. You've never missed a Tuesday. No. Once it came out on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday. And that was just a logistical error. Yeah. And and honestly, I listen to a, a fair number of podcasts. I'm, I'm pretty selective, but there are, you know, I don't know, a handful at least that I regularly listen to. And Expositors is one of them. And I've told you this many times, Mike. I but think, tell me again. I think you, <laughs> I, I really do. I think you do an extraordinary job. I, I'm, I marvel at the guys that you find to interview, you know, set such great content. I'm always sort of pushing it to people. You know, mm. of course, I, I'll like repost it on my Twitter feed, but I'll tell people, hey, you got to listen to this. Or sometimes I'll send it to my ministry team. I'll just, you know, put it in our in our little thread and said, hey, yeah. you guys, you know, listen to this conversation. It's going to help you. Well, thanks. So, yeah, I look at it as a way of serving you know, let's say Calvary Global Network. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know that people listen to it outside of our of our tribe. You know, yeah. but I think that it's it's such a good way to get content that can encourage the Tanners. You know, mm-hmm. or or just other people mm-hmm. 
within the Calvary world. I think that Calvary, we have a lot of great resources from within. We certainly do. Absolutely. I think we've we've inherited a really great ministry model and there's a lot of like good and godly mentors within our network. But also to pull in, mm-hmm. you know, people from the Anglican world or the Pentecostal world because they have something to, to offer and to help us. And yeah. so I want us to be a really well-rounded group. Yeah, and you've done a great job too, I think, with balancing things out with with pastoral guys, but then with academics too, with you know professors yeah. and authors. Yeah, there's a really good diversity. We were talking just the other day about a recent podcast that you did on reading reading books and the guy you interviewed who was on the Survivor show. Yeah, Dr. Austin Cardi. Yeah. Yeah. And I just really, really enjoyed that conversation. It was fantastic. It didn't really motivate me to read fiction, but it did motivate me to read more of my favorite (laughs) subject, which is history. Mike, would you say, are there any that come to mind, like two or three of your favorite interviews you've done on there? Well, I mentioned Pentecostals and Anglicans. So, of course, I'm going to mention my favorite Anglican. Wow, I have two favorite. I, actually, <laughs> I, thought just, I thought Justin Holcomb's interview is, I think, must listen. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's somebody who I've, I've benefited from a lot. He's a really educated man who also has a real heart towards sufferers, survivors of sexual abuse and assault. And he's a bishop here in Florida. Or, yeah, that's right. Yes. And, and he has a background in Calvary Chapel in yes. this region, yes. in Sarasota. I forgot until this very moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that, yeah, the Justin Taylor, sorry, Justin Holcomb interview was just fantastic. And then also a Pentecostal by the name of John Tyson, who's an Australian currently living in, in New York City thought he had some great things to, to bring to the conversation. Yeah. Also speaking about how for him, it's like kind of the power of God. Mm-hmm. And then the first time that he ever encountered expository preaching and he was like, I was sitting mm-hmm. in the front row and I almost like fell out of my seat mm-hmm. because I realized like the power is in God's word. And when it's opened and explained, yeah. there's power in that. Yeah. I, I remember your interview with Brian Chapel and mm-hmm. Christ-centered preaching, you know, it's his classic mm-hmm. book. And I had read the book in school and, and the book was fine. You know, I, wrote a report on it or whatever, but listening to him and just his, his humanity and his humility. I loved that episode. I just thought it was fantastic. And Dr. Pennington as well. I was yeah. super impressed with these, these guys. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for rounding up the, this great group of <laughs> uh, brilliant people to help us be better preachers. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to, I mean, the same way, you know how you would like, you would loan a book to somebody, yeah. you know, and that's a good thing. We should, we should loan books to people. Yeah. But you know, I, I look at this as a way of, yeah, serving my friends who I know and then people that I don't know yet Yeah. to be like, Hey, listen, yeah. Jonathan Pennington has great things to say about yeah. the Sermon on the Mount. Let him help you. Yeah. Because for so many of us as Bible teachers, yeah. we, we want to improve so that we could help again, the, the sinners and sufferers who are in our church. We want them to you know, be encouraged with, you know, the power. Again, there's, there's probably, you know, dads in your church who've just, you know, learned that their kid is, has a diagnosis and they're just struggling through that. And you want to encourage them with the power of God's word. So I think that's something that. Yeah. And the only other thing I would add is that because you guys occasionally have done episodes together and you, when you team up, you're really good too. So. Yeah. I hear that. It's just really hard to overlap our schedule. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah. We have the, uh, my friend and colleague, Nick Katie. 
Oh, Mike, I love doing stuff with you. So let me just finish with this question. What are you excited about for the future of CGN? Man, okay, first off, let me just say, I have a CGN tattoo. Guys, I am I am all in. <laughs> I am all in. I got it from, it was the 2019 conference, I think. It was so good. I was just like, I love this. I can't believe I get to be part of something that is like as wonderful as this. And so on the last day of the conference, I went out and got a CGN tattoo. So the answer is everything. But in particular, I love the Karen Koshin initiative. I have, yeah, I guess I, I've, I'm a, I'm a patient person. I'm also a stubborn person. So I've stubbornly pushed through kind of on my own a lot, a lot through a lot of, a lot of hard things. And I've, you know, found resources through books or through podcasts to kind of encourage me. And I've, I've been lucky enough in the past couple of years to have some really great wise mentors that have come along. I just love the Karen Coaching Initiative that's making that not a rarity, but it's making it something that's easily accessible to have older, wiser, experienced mentors give help to those that are like, let's say on the cusp of burning out or going through a very challenging situation. I love the Karen Coaching Initiative. And then also I love just the, just the, the variety of relationships that CGN has within Ukraine and the ability that CGN has through what, you know, the Calvary Chapel has been in Ukraine for three decades. Is mm -hmm. that it? That's yep. right. And it's 22 churches, I think, or something. I'm not sure of the, the details. But the, the capacity for us to financially and then also relationally to invest in that place that is, you know, really, really going through it. So those are things that I, that I love. Uh, people that are in need of help getting help. That makes me happy to hear. And through Karen Coaching and through our partnership with Brothers and Sisters in Ukraine, I'm glad we're able to do that. Cool. Thanks, Mike. And if anyone out there is listening and you are a person who is in need of help or resources, get in touch with us. We'd love to put you in touch with whatever you need, whether it's um, relationally people in your area, if it's things regarding Expositors Collective, or maybe, yeah, you, you have a child who has received a diagnosis and you need someone to talk to. We'd love to connect with you. So contact us at cgn at calvarychapel.com. So thanks again, Mike. Thanks for listening to this season of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. In our next episode, Pastor Brian and I will be speaking with Manolo Matos. Manolo is the pastor of Calvary Lima in Lima, Peru. And in that discussion, we will talk about ministry in Latin America and some of the unique opportunities and ways God is moving amongst the people and churches in South America. New episodes are released every two weeks, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so those episodes will be delivered right to your device as soon as they come out. We'd love to hear feedback from you on these episodes. You can email us at cgn at calvarychapel.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, one of the best ways you can do that is by giving us a rating and review on your podcast app. Written reviews are particularly helpful in helping boost this content so other people can find it and benefit from it. Until next time, God bless you.